Welcome into the Lion's Lair. I'm Noah Reif, your host, joined by John Sauber, Penn State football beat reporter and basketball reporter. John, what's going on? How are you? And we've got a lot to talk about today. We do. Uh, more than honestly, I anticipated uh, a lot going on. You know, just put a story out there that I'm pretty proud of that has been, you know, I don't know, like six weeks, five weeks in the making. Uh it was a fun one to write and enjoyable one to do. So uh, excited to talk about that. Excited to talk about men's basketball and even a little wrestling there at the end. Is that a long time in writer in writer? Speak? I mean, for so for me, it kind of is right because like I, I think a little. I'd love to do the inside baseball stuff, but like I, I write pretty quick compared to most people, right? Uh, and uh, it takes me long. I edit my own stuff afterward, though. That, that's like part of the benefit. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, write pretty quick. And once I get interviews done, I, I like to start writing right away. Um, if you notice, like in press conferences, I don't transcribe interviews and stuff because I'm like, it's in my head and like, I'm trying to write quickly through it while it's all in my head, while it's all fresh, while I can do it. And then I go back and edit and everything, but I like to get that first draft sort of out there as soon as possible. And like, so five weeks for me, like when that means I got to go back and really listen to what, you know what I mean? Like, when I wrote it uh, this week, I, I did a lot of like listening back to the interviews, uh, you know, listening back to a lot of things, listening back to some press conferences, looking for any tidbits, you know, just for some information to, to fill some gaps and uh, make sure I had everything sort of right where I wanted it to be. Sweet. Well, before we jump into that article that we're teasing, ooh, yes. <laughs> now you have to hang around. Yeah, to you're find gonna out. have to hang around <laughs> to figure out, you know, all of that and more, and some little secret, some secret stuff that didn't make the cut in that article. But let's first start off with uh, Penn State basketball. Here, they won a game against Northwestern, which we're just gonna gloss over. That I mean, it was because like yeah, it's senior night, and it was cool that they got to celebrate guys on senior night, but also it wasn't their last home game. Uh, and that did not go so well. Yeah, so speaking of their last home game, a brutal loss to Nebraska. It doesn't even count as a loss. What is credit, it, a credit route? To, credit, though, to Penn State. Or not credit to Penn State. Nebraska also just smashed Ohio State. La- not smashed, but beat Ohio State last night. Like, yeah. I, I've said this, like, a lot over the last week, uh, even before they played. There's no reason Nebraska is as bad as they are. They're very talented. Fred Hoiberg is a good coach. I said that, I think, last week on the podcast, too. Like, they just shouldn't be this bad. Uh, and Sunday night they weren't, and you know Tuesday night against Ohio State they weren't. I think you also said that these were going to be two easy home wins that they should win. Whoops. And you know, well, as we know, John takes her nuclear here on this podcast. That's right. Nothing's ever easy. Yeah, but um, well, on the bright side, the last time I said that, it's not like Penn State lost to Illinois in nine overtimes oh, on the football brother. field. No, and and then you were ratioed on Twitter via was. cold takes exposed it, via my own producer. Yeah, well, you know. Got to get that cloud somehow. And, and what happened out of that? You became a co-host. It's that's what you that's get. A, that's for how you do. You got to climb the ladder somehow. Yeah, by stepping on me every step of the way. Exactly. <laughs> well, let's jump back to that Nebraska loss real quick. Um, you wrote an article talking about how John Hara did not deserve this to be his last final home game. Do you want to jump in and talk a little bit about that game and your analysis from that? The the analysis from that game is that Nebraska shot sixty five percent from three. Penn State didn't try hard, frankly. Uh, other than John Hara, who tried hard, um, I actually spoke to him uh, yesterday, and you know he mentioned you know this uh, there will be another story about that coming in a couple weeks, which will have a quicker turnaround hopefully. Uh, but he he mentioned that he'd sort of apologized to his teammates afterward, which I don't honestly I don't know if that was necessary, right? Like he was fiery, he showed emotion, he was it meant something to him, and not a lot of other guys sort of rose to that level in the game. Um, he was shown on TV, you know, getting emotional in the huddle, yelling at his teammates, sort of. 
asking with more expletives than I can say on this podcast, what was going on, right? Like, uh, he was, he was in it, right? Like he wanted that win really, really badly. He showed up, uh, no one else did. They couldn't make enough shots, but they, they made plenty of them, right? Like not enough for the game, but like what should usually be enough they made, uh, their defense just completely no showed. And that was a major issue. Um, you know, what, when they sort of no show on that level on that end of the court, they're going to lose. And credit to Nebraska for for sort of getting Penn State out of its element. Nebraska kept the pace up, and Penn State wants to play as slow as humanly possible. Uh, They want to take shots with like 8 to 10 seconds left on the shot clock. They want it to be a low-possession game. They want to grind you down defensively. And Nebraska kept running, and they kept running, and they kept running, and they kept getting quick shots up, and they kept making those quick shots, which put even more pressure on Penn State and sped them up on offense. And then suddenly Penn State's not getting the shots they want. Um, they're settling for these bad looks. They're settling for, you know, shots they don't really need to take because it just feels like the game's quicker. Um, so everything that went wrong or could go wrong went wrong for Hera in his final game. And that was like the toughest part about this. I think for a lot of people within the program, Micah Shrewsbury said it afterwards, like that's what hurt about the game. Not how much they lost, not like sort of how, like why they lost. It was that they lost and didn't show up for Hera and his final home game at a place that means clearly the world to him and means, you know, he means a lot to this program. Uh, you know, it, it is a shame that he didn't get that sort of proper send off. Now that being said, like I said, I spoke to him yesterday. Uh, you were there as well. Like you could see it, like he was kind of past it. Like it was in, in the back pocket and he had moved on. Uh, even, even after the game, uh, David Eckert of blue white illustrated had a great story about it. he did the workout with him, right? Herod does this workout after games, uh, to, I don't know if it's to come down off of, off of the adrenaline or to just add to more adrenaline or whatever it is, because I don't know who does that, right? Who goes and lifts after playing basketball that heavily, but this is John Harrow we're talking about. Uh, but one of the things he said, and you know, you should go read that story, but um, he, he sort of used that as his chance to sort of get out from under the weight of that game uh, to, to sort of normalize himself and feel okay again about it. And he was he was pretty good pretty quickly after it, and he kind of had the chance to digest it, and it didn't go how he wanted it to, but he still does have some season left, even though it won't be at the BJC. Yeah, I definitely recommend go check out that story. It's also funny because, Dave, if you're listening, you know, we feel bad that uh, you went and had to do a, a That's plank. right, minute and a half plank. Yeah. That is a roughly 90 seconds longer than I would last. I, I will not lie, John was laughing at you. Yes, I was. When we talked to him. Um, I think, you know, something that... Uh, John would agree with here. He he kind of has the mind of a goldfish, as uh, you know, his little sayings would go. That's yes. that's, that's mine applied to him. But um, you know, he d- he did he did seem like he shook that game off. Honestly, really I think, quickly. I think he may have said, "Be a goldfish." In the past, I don't yeah. want to. I don't want to say that with hundred percent certainty, yeah. but it's you know, Hera loves these sort of philosophical sayings. That's these, a very it's a Ted Lasso quote, is it not? Yes, be yes, a goldfish. That's exactly. right. It's a great quote. It is. It's a, it, you know, move on from things. Don't think about them too long. Don't dwell on them, all that stuff. Um, but yeah, uh, he, you know, he he seemed to pretty clearly moved on. He's ready for the next challenge. And the next, cha- next challenge, it's a pretty big challenge, right? Like, yeah, he's got Kofi Coburn Thursday night in Illinois. Uh Kofi Coburn is seven feet tall and 285 pounds and is also skilled and is one of the most unstoppable players in the Big Ten. And John Hera, for as big and as strong as he is, is not seven feet tall and he is not 285 pounds and he is not as skilled as Kofi is. So we'll see. That is that is going to be an interesting matchup. Uh, Micah Shrewsbury said in his press conference yesterday that, like, what's the point of putting another a, a big out there to com- combat with a big if it's just, like, 
barely going to mitigate him, right? Like you sort of want to find the mismatch. Maybe it's going small. So we'll see like how they utilize Hera, how they utilize, how they run offense, frankly, and how they defend. Like, are they just doubling down on everything, putting someone smaller and quicker on Coburn and making him react so quickly that, that if he doesn't, they're getting a turnover, they're getting a strip, they're getting something out of it. Uh, you know, there, there are ways to defend him without having another massive human being on the court, but I think Hera is in for potentially his toughest challenge of the year with only two games left. Oh, there's there's a Rutgers game coming coming up, playing Rutgers at Jersey Mike's Arena. An yeah, unstoppable just, arena. Yeah, but also an excellent sponsorship deal. Like, I, yeah. I don't care about sponsorship deals. We've talked about this in the past, but Jersey Mike's Arena is, it's excellent. But it will still, in my mind, usually I'll just call it the rack. Right. That's what it always is. The be. rack, Jersey Mike's Arena, a place where Rutgers seemingly cannot lose against any team um and then illinois who like you said has kofi coburn and is the number 20 team in the country right now um and and at at its best is closer to a top 10 team in the country exactly Uh, and and like that's the thing about this when you close your your regular season with rutgers at the rack it's there's there's really no more demoralizing place to play like you just kind of have to own that you're going to play bad and hope you can grind it out better than they can. And Penn State can. They beat Rutgers by 17 earlier this year at the BJC. But but Rutgers is a different beast at home. Uh, and Ron Harper Jr. generally plays better at home. Geo Baker plays better at home. Caleb McConnell plays better at home. All those guys, like, they play better in those situations uh, in, in front of their fans. So we'll see how it goes. But there is, you know, frankly, there's not as much to play for other than to sort of send these guys off the right way in the regular season. Um, if Penn State wants to make any noise with regards to any postseason, they got to go a run next week in Indianapolis. Um, how big of a run? Well, that depends on what they do in these final two games. Um, but but yeah, they are they're on the outside looking in of any postseason berth right now. Um, they're really their only chance of making the NCAA tournament is to win the Big Ten tournament. Their only real chance of of winning the or of making the NIT uh, is is winning these next two and then getting two more in the Big Ten tournament. Because if you go any further, or even three in the Big Ten tournament, potentially, because if you go past that, you've qualified for the NCAA tournament because you won the Big Ten. So uh, the NIT, oddly enough, might be less likely because it's either like NCAA tournament or or nothing at this point because of the way it's shaken out. I'm interested to hear, too, you know, you you said these games aren't specifically to play for anything, but looking forward to seeding in the Big Ten tournament, are we going to see some of these same matchups again? Is this going to be a little preliminary scouting, you know, possibility here? That's With the way things stand right now, Penn State's the 10 seed. It is unlikely they are the 10 seed for the, the Big Ten tournament because of these two games, right? They're, they're, they're most likely looking at the 11 seed. Who do they play if they're the 11 seed? Nebraska, who just beat them and who just beat Ohio State. So not really ideal. Honestly, you might rather be 12th uh, than get either Minnesota or Northwestern. Uh, but yeah, it's it's not great, right? If, if they're the eleven, they get a win there. Then I believe they would be set to play Rutgers again in the second round, and then no sense in looking past that at this point because that's enough for them to sort of handle in the short run. And we'll, you know, we'll go more into the the Big Ten tournament next week when we preview it. But yeah, it's a it's an uphill battle, right? Like this is, you know, there's they're, they're unlikely to end their season with a win, right? Uh, actually, they're not going to end their season with a win to, to be point blank, but they can they can sort of show guys and, and, and maybe try things with guys that will be back next year. Maybe Dallin Johnson gets more touches offensively. Maybe he's allowed to create his own shot. Um, it's tough to balance that with trying to win because it's probably not going to be your most efficient offense because he hasn't done it at that level in the past. Uh, you know, his best scoring game, he hit five uh, catch-and-shoot threes, right? And he had, there's all 15 of his points came off those. So, But I think you, you might see a little more him trying to create for himself, a little more uh, – 
I don't want to say looking toward the future, but like figuring out what you have a little bit more while still emphasizing like the priority one for them is still winning these games, though. Well, let's jump forward to our little secret story we were talking about. It's not so secret. <laughs> yeah, it's, by it's, now. it's on the Internet. It, um, is, it is readily, readily available. It is readily, but whoop, you know, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm, you can't see me right now, but I'm tossing up the W for Jalen Pickett, an incredible feature that John just put out today. Oh, 1,600 words. Am, am Somewhere around. That? It was like 13, 14. Yeah, like that. In, incredibly well done. Um, but let's just dive into this. Do you want to give us just a general overview of what we're looking at here with this picket feature, what people should be looking out for. And then I have a ton of questions. So, well, I, I think the main thing is the news that's in it, right? Uh, there are a few things there, but like the, the primary news that will affect Penn State moving forward is that he's, I believe the exact term he said was definitely probably coming back, which like it to, to be blunt, it sounds like he's coming back, right? Like he has one more year of eligibility left. Um, it makes sense to come back. Like I think the decision for him is about like going pro potentially overseas, uh, you know, and who knows, he can make his way back uh, to the NBA at some point if he, he develops further. But um, I, I believe he's going to play basketball for a long time and have a, a successful career, whether that's overseas, wherever it is. Like, you know, he's he's good, right? Like he creates a baseline. And uh, but, yeah, I think that that's the main news that people would take away from it. But I think there was a lot of really interesting stuff about Jalen and sort of this this like the maturity uh my my favorite thing like was it was the lead of the story is about like how he would come out to games i would I would watch him right i talked to him i think in mid-january and every game after that i would watch him as soon as he came out to the court he comes out of the the far tunnel like across the court from me walks through the other team's warm-ups just sort of meandered along not really doing anything walks past half court gets to the, like the three-point line stops you know occasionally would would shoot occasionally would like dap up some teammates most of the time he's yawning, right? Like he's just come out of a nap, which is very much sort of the uh, the old man pick uh, nickname, the uncle pick nickname that he has. Like he's kind of mature beyond his years, and that's what a lot of the, the genesis of the story is and, and how he got to that point. I don't want to spoil too much with regards to that, but, uh, you know, it, it is a it's a good look at like sort of the, the maturity it takes to be to, – to make the decisions he did, right? And one other tidbit in there is he chose Penn State over schools like Gonzaga and Baylor, who, uh, hmm, how do I put this, are good, right? Like, Just a little bit. <laughs> these are two top ten teams in the country, top five, I think. I don't remember where Baylor was in the last ranking. Uh, Can't beat Texas Tech, though. <laughs> classic Red Raider. Uh, <laughs> uh, no rife. Uh, Adopted Red Raider fan. Yes. Uh, but, yeah, no, I, I think he uh, is, you, you know, to, to make that decision to sort of pass up on two title-winning team or title uh, game appearing teams shows a lot of maturity shows a lot of knowing what you want out of your decision so a little bit back to that old man pick nickname he plays extremely methodically and slow i'm putting that in quotes because it's still you know it's I mean, he's, it's he's, slower for he's, he's slow for a, a big 10 guard yes he's still faster than you and i exactly that's, yeah, that's <laughs> right exactly like, it's all like when you anytime you say any of this stuff any of this analysis that we do on here it's all within the realm of like the world the world they're within right like is you know Sean Clifford a good quarterback is compared to other Big Ten quarterbacks is Jalen Pickett fast is compared to other Big Ten guards right like it's all contextualized in that way there was something that you told me uh, I think just off the cuff when we were we were chatting one day about how he's almost one step ahead of you because he's one step behind you and I, I just want to know like how that methodical play 
plays out to his advantage while playing in the Big Ten, which is very fast and physical. Well, there there is maybe not so fast, but still faster than him generally, right? Yeah, like, that's like, what I, <laughs> not, not like, yeah, it's not, yeah. It's not the SEC, it's but not, yes. exactly, uh, yeah. But yeah, no, he, there is, there's a specific example I always go to with him, right? Like, well, there, there are two things. One, the specific example is he will be driving to his right, and a defender, and, and the guys I compare him to, Kyle Anderson of the Memphis Grizzlies, Boris Diaw, used to play for the Spurs, played in the NBA for a very long time, uh, was excellent, was one of my favorite players to watch. That you sort of, when you're playing it with other guys who are playing at a certain pace, they're expecting you to be at a certain spot in a certain time, right? So when he drives to his right, you know, defenders are kind of getting out in front of him a little too far, right? Getting out to their left, his right a little too far to sort of wall him off. And you're overstepping by half a step because you're expecting him to be there sooner. Well, the second you do that, and he spins back to his right shoulder, has an easy layup, has an easy finish, draws a foul, whatever. Like, I've seen him do that so many times this year, right? Time and time again. The other thing is, like, he just kind of meanders places and he ends up spots where you're like, what? How did you how'd you get down here, right? Like, he's he's got the ball at the left wing and suddenly, like, he's just dribbling a little bit, dribbling a little bit, and then suddenly he's at the low block. It's like, I don't remember you getting there. I don't think the defender remembers you getting there. Like, and suddenly you're just there. Um, and he has a good size and physicality to sort of have a post-up game, which... You know, his brother talked about in the story, uh, his brother Anin Bennett uh, mentioned in the story that, like, there was something that he didn't embrace at first. Anin didn't. Like, it was this thing where they don't play alike at all. And once he, once Anin stopped sort of harping on Jalen for the things he couldn't do and emphasized the things he could, like the, the post game and everything, that's when Jalen really blossomed. Uh, and, you know, that's how you end up sort of that methodical and everything and, and playing at that level, even though maybe the, the, athletic traits aren't at the level of a lot of guys, but you, you sort of play so offbeat that it's even an even greater advantage. Yeah, I think that's like, it's such an interesting like type of basketball to watch. You just, he is methodical, but he's also like, he just, he's in the spot. He's in the right spot. And the decisions are, are quicker. Exactly. Right? Like the, he, he knows exactly what he's about to do and he knows where you're about to be, and that allows him to take advantage of it because he can be as offbeat as he wants. If he doesn't make the right decisions, it's not going to be helpful. He makes the right decisions, and he puts himself in a position to succeed. So looking at uh, the 2019 draft, obviously Jalen declared for the 2019 draft, but this, like you said, it kind of changed his perception on himself as a player and just his game and, like, what basketball meant, you know? So can you talk a little bit more about that and... Yeah, what all that meant the, to him. The first pivot point for him was in high school when he when he got out of high school he stopped playing football, right? And and, and it focused just on basketball. But the second bigger one is what you mentioned. So he declares for the 2019 NBA draft. I believe his uh, his his mom Gwendolyn mentioned that that he worked out for seven ish NBA team somewhere around there, and and he said that's when he saw like how those dudes work. Like he he worked hard, right? Like he would do all of the lifts and everything. Uh, but then you go to these workouts and guys would be there getting like shots up already. They'd be lifting already or something like that. So that's when he learned like, okay, this is what it looks like, right? Like this is what you have to do with play at this level. So he had that sort of revelatory moment where he was like, this is the effort I need to put in. Not that he wasn't putting effort in before, but this ratcheted up to a new level that he hadn't been to in the past and allowed him to sort of become who he is physically to get as strong as he is to, to sort of work on his game the way he does and become the player he is now because he's clearly a better player than he was three years ago in 2019. Um, he's a much more mature player too, which is saying something because he's very mature for a, a sophomore back then. But like this is a an iteration of him that exists because he had that opportunity and because he worked out uh, for those NBA teams. 
Yeah, that's super interesting. I, I just found that super interesting because I don't think a lot of people know, like current Penn State fans at least, that he not, the draft. Yeah, that he that he ever entered the draft and to yeah. hear that little well, tidbit was awesome. It's it's a valuable thing for a lot of guys, right? That you can declare for the draft and you can just pull your name out by the deadline and be fine. And it's like nothing happened. Guys do it all the time. Um, and it's a good chance to sort of either see what it takes or to just get some work in against guys that maybe you wouldn't. And, and, you know, he took advantage of it, right? Like, and that's the big thing. Like it's one thing to just go in to see where you would go. Uh, it's another to go in to get the work in. And it seems like he went in to get the work in. You mentioned football a little bit. I want to toss this tidbit in there because you told me this and I thought it was funny that he had a Penn state connection before he had a Penn State connection yes. with Jake Zembeck. Who's his former quarterback former in high quarterback school who, at Aquinas Institute. Yeah, who, if for those, I feel like he's most well-known as the chain guy yeah. at Penn State, yeah. former Penn State Which was an excellent look, excellent mustache. Too. Incredible, yeah. But along those lines, I just want to know what were some of your favorite things that obviously you couldn't put everything in the story. What was your favorite thing that kind of got left on the cutting room floor? Yeah, I mean, it's, he he was really good at football. Like, this was, I, I mentioned it offhand in the story, like, he was actually good at football. Uh, they, they they played this summer, you know, I think they had a pickup game among the, the men's basketball team here at Penn State, and uh, I, I think it was right after, maybe a few weeks after that, we had a chance to talk to guys at Media Day, and, and Seth Lundy mentioned that, like, pick was slow. And I asked Pick about that, and he was like, well, first off, I scored on Seth, right? Like, <laughs> and that's the kind of competitiveness that, that there is with Jalen. Like, and it's like that with his brother. Neither of them ready to admit that, that they've ever lost to the other in a game of one-on-one. Uh, although, you know, the both saying it with a smile, the admission, right, and it's own that it's like, eh, well, he, he won sometimes. And and eventually, as Jalen will tell it, uh, he beat on and once, and that was it. Like, that was the last time they played. So I don't want to keep that record, according to Jalen anyways. Uh, but yeah, no, he, and, and his sort of love for football was original, right? Like he played basketball because of his brother. He played basketball because of his brother's friends. He saw them doing it. He played football because he wanted to, and it was sort of his own thing that became good at, which I always think is interesting. Like when he follows so closely in his brother's footsteps to take this divergent path and to have the chance to take the divergent path, but instead to do what like his first love was, which was basketball and it bonded him with his brother. Um, I thought was really interesting. Uh, but yeah, he, he also, when he was a kid, his mom told me that he would like draw up plays and draw up basketball plays and like was always thinking sort of in that way. Uh, and she mentioned, this is in the story that, that he started playing basketball when he was two because he was just playing with his brother who's eight years older than him. So he was constantly around him, constantly playing the game. But yeah, no, this was, uh, you know, it's, it's insightful sort of into how you become that, that mature, right? Like, when you're drawing up plays as a kid, like that's not something people usually do, right? Like he was constantly sort of thinking in that way. And the way Anand put it, he sort of was always eight years older than he was, right? Like he was, he was his brother's maturity because he was always around his brother. So he sort of grew up that way. Um, and he, he, you know, everything's planned out for him. Like he planned everything out for him. I should say like Jalen planned it out for himself and what he wanted to do and what he wanted to accomplish. And I, you know, he was clearly very driven to sort of get to this point and, and credit to him. He's here, right? Like, and he's good and he's playing at the, the high, uh, the high major D one level and he's playing well. 
Again, super interesting feature. If you guys have not checked it out yet, make sure to go to centerdaily.com. It's there. It's on John's Twitter. I'm sure he'll tweet it out 18 more times this week before, you know. Probably just one more tomorrow morning. Oh, you know, maybe. We'll see. We'll see. But uh, let's move on to wrestling. We have some news for the Big Ten tournament, wrestling seeding. You know, John, what stood out to you about these seeds? What can we look forward to the Big Ten, you know, tournament? And, you know, share a little bit what is planned for coverage because there's going to be some some cool stuff coming up. Yeah, uh, the, the first thing that you'll see, and just to sort of go over the coverage and stuff and how we're going to do this, uh, Nate Cobbler, our wonderful Penn State be- Penn State wrestling beat reporter, uh, who will be in Nebraska for the Big Ten Championships this weekend. Him and I are doing sort of a comp- comprehensive uh, prediction story where we each sort of project where each guy lands. So we won't get too far into that on this podcast, but it should be up Thursday morning uh, for you to read. Uh, I think that'll be really interesting. Nate and I usually... You know, there are similarities in the way we think, but there are also differences, right? And, and big differences, uh, especially with how we view some guys. So I always think it's interesting to see how that plays out. And Nate is obviously, like, you know, knows far more than I do, right? And he is he's excellent at what he does, and he'll be uh, covering the, uh, you know, the entirety of the championships, like I said, this weekend. So make sure you follow Nate's work on Twitter at, at ByNCobbler, B-Y-N-C-O-B-L-E-R. Um, he's going to have updates all weekend. But we'll have that prediction story. I think the biggest thing there is that Brady Berge is the number 10 seed, and because he's the number 10 seed, he won't have to face Northwestern's Ryan Deacon until a potential title match, which is big. Uh, Berge obviously trying to qualify for the NCAA Wrestling Championships. All of these guys are. Uh, We'll have to outperform his seed. Creighton Edsel will have to outperform his seed. Uh, Everyone else, I believe, should be in. Uh, But I think Edsel and Berge are the guys you sort of watch, and if they get in, you know, if they can score at all, at NCAAs, like, I think that's a major win for Penn State. And I know that's looking pretty far down the road, but, like, that's what all this is setting up to, right? Because there are, you know, plenty of scenarios where Penn State doesn't win the Big Ten title this weekend, but they do win the NCAA title. Uh, They are more well-equipped to wrestle in the NCAAs. They have more guys that, you know, when the field is bigger, can score more points, that can do more damage than the other contender for the title in, in Iowa. Uh, and, and, you know, as the field grows, they will get better. Um, sort of their their worst is like a cut above Iowa's worst, right? Like, in, and their, bus, their best, frankly, is, a, is a, a cut above Iowa's best. So it's about those sort of lower-level guys doing what they need to. And with the Big Ten as strong as it is, it's always tougher because the, the field's so condensed. But, yeah, I, I think that, that sort of Bergy matchup at number 10 uh, – you know, if, if he qualifies for NCAAs, that's a win. Uh, if, if Edsel qualifies for NCAAs, it's a win. And then these other guys, like, they're expecting to win Big Ten titles, right? Like, even Drew Hildebrand, I know he's got Nick Suriano ahead of him, who is very, very tough at 125, but is probably expecting to at least contend for it. He's the two seed. We have four one seeds in Roman Bravo Young, Nick Lee, Carter Starachi, and Aaron Brooks, all who, you know, should be favored to win the titles at their respective weight classes. And off the top of my head, should be favored to win titles uh, at the NCAA wrestling championships, too. Like, these are the highest end of the high end. Uh, Max Dean getting the two seed, I think, is interesting because it sets up a potential rematch of a loss. Earlier this year, he, fa- he would face Cameron Caffey of Michigan State in the semifinals. That would be sort of his redemption chance. And then Greg Kirkfleet, the other one at, at heavyweight, that is sort of something to watch. He is the three seed. He is basically, he should be doing everything in his power not to face Gable Stevenson 
at the NCAA Wrestling Championships until the finals. The best way to do that is to solidify himself as either the two or the three seed. Uh, and the best way to do that is to win every match this weekend, except when he faces Gable, uh, which would again be in the Big Ten Championship. So, uh, or and in who the knows final. what's going to happen? Yeah, r- wrestling can get weird sometimes. And that's the fun thing. But one thing that usually doesn't happen is Gable Stevenson losing. Uh, it is not something that I would anticipate this weekend or next weekend. Yeah, so. if I was a betting man, which I am, you I are. would bet on <laughs> Gable Stevenson. Yeah, he is. Stevenson is is a cut above all wrestlers. Two cut two two cuts, cuts above. above. Yeah, and two cuts above at heavyweight, a cut above at every other weight. Too. Exactly. Like he is, he is, and sort a sort of unstoppable force that. I mean, that we had that with Kyle Snyder when he was at Ohio State and had it with Cale Sanderson when he was at Iowa State. But, like, those guys at that size don't come around as often as you you would think. Uh, and we've sort of been spoiled by them lately, but he is just an absolute monster. And, you know, frankly, one of my favorite wrestlers to watch because he is going out there and he kind of wants to embarrass you, right? Like, he wants to put on a show, and that's part of what makes wrestling fun. That's why Penn State wrestling is so much fun to watch, right? Like, they're trying to score points, uh, and they're trying to help their team by scoring as many points as they can. Uh, Stevenson is, is cut from that cloth, too, and should be a lot of fun to watch this weekend. Well, that is going to do it for this week's show. Of course, my name is Noah Reif. You can follow me online at Noah Reif. Um, John, what what do you have going on? Again, we kind of mentioned some of the upcoming projects for you, but where can people find you? And share, share, share our discount code. That's right. Yeah. We, as always, you can subscribe to the Center Daily Times at centerdaily.com backslash sports podcast for a discounted rate. I believe it's $30 for a year. Get access to all of our sports coverage from the Center Daily Times. That's C-E-N-T-R-E, like the county, daily.com backslash sports podcast. Read that pick story. Yeah, read that pick story. That's right. I appreciate the plug. Uh, but, you know, you can you can find a bunch of other stuff, too, from this season. The, the John Harris story after uh, they lost on Sunday and the, the sort of emotion that you could see from him, even though we didn't get to talk to him after the game, right? Because uh, the, a lot of people were emotional for him. Um, I, there's, like we said, something in the works there too, potentially down the road worth, worth, uh, reading, uh, here in a few weeks, we'll have all of our big 10 tournament coverage next week. Um, and you can find me on Twitter at John Sauber, J O N S A U B E R. Well, that's going to do it for this week. We hope that you have had a good week and we will see y'all at the big 10 tournament. Peace. Peace.